0: Welcome to our podcast, where we will be talking about life and all its flavors with the hopes of making ripples with words. I'm Uriel, and in this episode, we will be talking about how to deal with cultural identity crisis with Ms. Wilhelmina and Giovanna. Hi, Anne!
1: Hi, Uriel! <laughs> Hi, Thank you how so much you? for having me. I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs>
0: Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Really
1: looking forward to
0: having this conversation with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Um this is so, my first time um that I'll be speaking about this experience. So i'm a little nervous but i'm super excited to share my story with you guys
0: well i'm excited too actually mm-hmm. to hear everything you have to say and i'm sure the listeners are also looking forward to whatever it is you have to share mm-hmm. so let's get to it
1: um, okay <laughs> in
0: the context of this conversation um how would you define cultural identity
1: crisis okay so uh, before i answer your question i want to start off with a a quote that really resonated with me while I was trying to prepare what I was going to say uh, during this interview. And that quote is, uh, if home is where the heart is, and one's heart is with one's family, language and country, what happens when your family, language and culture occupy two different worlds? So this is a quote Uh, written by Celia Valikov in her article, Emotional Transnationalism and Family Identities. And I really feel like this quote pretty much summarizes the plight of many immigrant families all over the world, such as mine. So uh, just to give the uh, listeners a bit of background, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Is that okay? Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah. So uh, my dad got offered um, by his company to move to Australia uh, in 2007. So that was when we left the Philippines. Um, he actually refused the offer <laughs> uh, and, and said that he couldn't go unless he was able to bring his entire family with him. And so his boss at the time was really kind and allowed for that to happen and after months of organizing our documents, it was such a long process, I can still remember it. Um, <laughs> having to take uh, health tests, lining up at a lot of queues, uh, doing a lot of waiting. Um, eventually, uh, since uh, Australia's immigration laws weren't as strict back then, we were all granted permanent resident visas before we even left the Philippines. So, uh, And then after two years of living in Australia, we we got our citizenships. And that's so unheard of nowadays, uh, given the changes in the state of affairs in Australia um, over the past decade or so. So our family was really lucky to have been given that opportunity. Um, You know, we were given this chance to be immersed into this new culture, which was great, but it was really hard to dive into it at first. So to, uh, to define cultural identity crisis, I think to me it means uh, suffering both emotionally and psychologically for a period of time uh, due to the effects of crossing international borders, uh, leaving connections in one's home country, and settling into a new country or a new world per se. Um, I think all of these uh, circumstances combined can leave uh, individuals finding an imbalance in their cultural identity, especially for um, adolescents or children who hadn't quite hit the age of maturity yet while they were still living in their home countries. Like myself, I was only (laughs) 12, yes. So Mm -hmm. um, I think while trying to adapt to the new country, um, individuals may find uh, certain social situations rather stressful or uh, just distressing, I think they may struggle to fit in due to cultural differences or feel like they have to pretend they're something that they're not uh, due to social and cultural pressures. And I've definitely experienced um, all of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, just a quick background
0: for the listeners. So I've known okay. <laughs> ever since we were in preschool...
1: Yeah, like kindergarten. Yeah, youngins. It wasn't. We until, didn't get I think, to talk or play much. I feel like you were always like in the best section, like the number one section, no, and that's I was always not in the true, worst. Girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I just I think it yeah. was just we were never really classmates. That's why we never yeah really yeah became close.
1: Yeah, but yeah. no. The
0: funny thing is actually for the listeners, he <laughs> moved. To Australia around like 2007, right?
1: Yeah, so after and- uh, grade six, yeah, right. after grade six.
0: And it was and- actually when she left the country that we started to become close. Yes.
1: Yeah, so weird. <laughs> so happy that we were able to like come home to visit the Philippines, and that's when we started hanging out, you know, through uh, mutual friends. Yeah, it was yeah. so really nice. Thank you for taking me around back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, and hopefully yeah. we can do it again soon yeah, when this is over. You. Um, Going back, so um, mm-hmm. can you share um, some of the challenges or issues that you
1: faced? Yeah, sure. So um, I have a lot of experiences. For example, um, the first day of middle school was rough because my English was pretty poor back then. Um, we didn't really speak English much in our family when we were living in uh, the Philippines. Uh, but being exposed to, you know, uh, Western TV, music and pop culture, um, it really helped our overall understanding of it. But it didn't necessarily mean that speaking it was easy in any way. Because <laughs> if you're looking <laughs> at it and um, everyone was Australian. Like, I think at the time, like, for me to, you know, to make mistakes. So, the level of anxiety, man, it was, there were times I couldn't respond to my teachers. Like, I would just cry if something happened, like, someone was bothering me and I couldn't tell the teacher. So, I just, like, cry in the middle of class. <laughs> I think language was, um, yeah, it was a big barrier. And, um, it was hard to make friends nung una because I was shy and awkward and had a weird accent. <laughs> but um, it took a whole year. But eventually, from uh, moving from one friend group to another, I felt like I finally found my tribe at school. So, uh, at in middle school, all throughout uh, senior high, um, my our. Group like our main, my main circle of friends. Uh, so there were three Indonesian Australians, one Chinese Vietnamese, one Malaysian Sri Lankan, and then there's me, a Filipina. So um, <laughs> uh, there were only three Filipinos at my entire school uh, during the time that I was there and I was one of them. Um, so I'm not really sure if it was a uh, pure coincidence that all of us in our circle had some kind of Asian asian in us um -hmm. we decided to band together if we like subconsciously found some type of comfort in each other's company i know that i felt more welcome in their company um we all grew and developed our australian identities while keeping our home identities and we shared like some of the best memories together um they really helped me overcome my shyness, and I'm proud to say that I'm still in contact with most of them to this day. So I had a great group of friends that made uh, going to school every day pretty positive. But I was also bullied and picked on for being different. Yeah, bullying was real. <laughs> yeah.
0: Since we've touched on it, there in and month, like you were saying that it it was. These friends that helped you uh, deal with this kind of situation. Can you tell mm-hmm. us more about the other coping mechanisms that helped you? Like, did you ever uh, talk about this with your family? Or,
1: um, not really. Um, <laughs> even when I was getting bullied, um, you know, like there were a couple of students that didn't even know where the Philippines was, or I got picked on for not knowing what certain Australian words, Australian terms meant. Um, I got ostracized for having strict parents. Um, There was like a big culture gap. And I, I don't think my parents ever really asked me, like if there was anything wrong going on at school, and I didn't really feel inclined to tell them like, I think I always just wanted to show them that I felt lucky that we live here now, like, our lives are different now. I, I, did, I didn't open up to my siblings about it either. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I think it was uh, my time in university that was when I began to realize that um, I needed to stop, you know, trying hard to be One of them. Like, I couldn't force that. Um, So I just had to start accepting some things for what they were. (laughs) Mm, I see. And how long would you say
0: did this go on for?
1: How many years? (laughs) A long time. Um, Maybe like six years? I think. um, Go, go, go. Sorry. Yeah. But um, I couldn't figure out what i wanted to do and what i wanted to pursue and what kind of person i wanted to be because yeah like the relationships that i went into and different types of people and the different friend groups that i had like not all of them were not all of them matched my culture and so it was really confusing like not just for me but for my family too for them to figure out what was going on with me like i was going through like some angsty uh teenage phase (laughs) but it was just Mm -hmm. um I, i was just so confused like when it came when it comes to my identity and so um yeah uh uni uh that was when i really experienced discrimination and I started thinking about, um, you know, maybe it would be better for me to study someplace else. <laughs> kind of want to tell that story about um, uh, this one broadcasting class that I took when mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was told by the professor himself that I needed to stop speaking with an American accent because no one wants to hear that in Australia and that I should stick to news writing instead. So I took that to heart. I mean, all throughout high school, I did speak with an Australian accent. It was probably awful, but I tried. And <laughs> I, thought, I thought it would be easier for everyone else to understand me. But once I got to uni, I realized um, I shouldn't have to do that because I just didn't feel like I was being myself fully. It felt forced. So, um, I realized that there will be times when I will suffer based on my ethnicity and I thought maybe that was inevitable but I also realized it doesn't have to be so. Um, So I decided maybe if I study in America, um, maybe I'd be more accepted there. It's sad when I say it Mm -hmm. like that but it was was an exciting time for me too. Um, I began to really discover parts of myself that I felt like I didn't embrace as much before then. Um, I studied in California and just as I'd envisioned, my uni life there was so much more fulfilling. I was constantly inspired. I wrote a lot and um, some of my articles got published. Like I felt like I was being seen finally Mm -hmm. and recognized for my efforts and I was way more sociable. I really felt like I was growing more comfortable in my own skin. And the connections that I made while I was studying there, they were they were um, detrimental to my mental and emotional state. You know, living all the way over there alone and away from my family for the first time, it was a time of transformation for me.
0: What would you say is the difference, though, between these two environments that you've studied in, like, in, in terms of the way they've treated you?
1: Okay, so, and when I was st- studying in Australia, um, I just felt like the way I spoke, uh, the accent was such a big, big deal. <laughs> um, even when we had to go into groups and do presentations, um, in some of the uh, courses, uh, units that I took, um, I always felt like I was always the last person to be picked to join in this group or I'd always be in that one group at the end where like, it's like a bunch of individuals who no one wanted in their group. And then we'd all like band together and that would be our group. I just felt really like I wasn't seen. Maybe maybe it was my confidence level too at the time. Like I didn't wanna attract attention to myself. I wasn't exactly participating in class like i guess i just wasn't ready to put myself out there and so i think i really needed that experience you know pushing myself to move someplace else and really push myself out of my comfort zone so i could you know um, have more confidence in myself and just be able to talk with people from all uh, different backgrounds and yeah, just shine.
0: <laughs> Good for you. So I was I was gonna ask, like since we've touched on it, nga, like you said you being in the in the States was, was like the turning point for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or it was a it was a moment of growth and transformation. Mm-hmm. So but can you elaborate more on like what made you finally decide to take those steps to kind of like turn the situation around?
1: Okay, so um I think community matters a lot and um, we were really blessed that uh, we had such a big uh, Filipino community that surrounded uh, my family and I in Perth. Um, uh, Being a part of that community really made an impact in terms of us never feeling like we had to face cultural challenges on our own. So um, meeting other families, um, us becoming family friends and growing up with them, you know, when you get like extended brothers and sisters, um, it was such a great experience and a really powerful vehicle for, for our entire family to, you know, stay resilient. I think that many immigrants um, all over the world, um, being part of a community that shares the same culture and values as them really helps to ease identity struggles Like I still remember attending the uh, events like assemblies and parties and they were so much fun like we were community we were welcome to non-Filipinos as well but almost everyone was Filipino so usually there was lots of uh, galog time and games and lots of food total food coma for the entire weekend. Mm. Every time, like, every time we got home from those parties, like, parang kakaoilang from fiesta or, you know, sobrang, sobrang busog. Well, it's, it's (laughs) not a Filipino gathering if you're not busog at the end. (laughs) And then there's, like, parang take home. There's, like, Tupperware and you can take food home. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. And so, um, yeah, but it was really fun. And there's, like, lots of learning to do Was it, Edad yung, um, mga anak. <laughs> like, and so yeah. all of us you know we were going through the same things and we were all learning how to adapt into the Australian culture while still upholding our Filipino values and I really feel like for us um, by attending that community it was really great support it was such a great way for us to honor and uplift ourselves and embrace our hyphen uh, cultural identities despite messaging from the outside world. So it was a time of personal growth um, for all of us. Ayy, yeah. so, that's <laughs> so
0: good to hear! I mean, I'm so happy that you shared that. One of the things that I got from what you said is also mm-hmm. community. It's what gave you that sense of, of belongingness, right? And yeah, like so having true. people to be able to relate to and identify yeah. with.
1: Yeah, but the Parang hindi lang ako yung wants to come out of their shell. It was a lot of us that were really struggling to figure out who we were mm-hmm. and what kind of individuals we want to be. And so it was just great to know that we were all supported. Because immigrant children, it can be really confusing. Um, you get lost during the transition. And so you're always trying to figure out how to fit in and you're always discerning um, which identity to bring forward. Um, it's hard, but it gets better. But I I really think that going through cultural identity crisis is one of the big reasons why I'm so sure of who I am today. Beautifully said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Australia is not that bad though. I feel like I'm painting it as like this country that discriminated against against this 13 year old Filipino girl. It's not like that. I think it was really just given the fact that I was so young and I wasn't able to mature yet, you know, before we left. And so I'm still growing. Well, I think that's what made, what made it really hard for me at the time.
0: And would you say that this is still something that you, like, struggle with? Is it something that you're still currently
1: dealing with? Yes. <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think because I, I, okay, I live now, I live in Japan, so I've been living here. I've only been living here for three years. So I, I do think I still have a lot to learn and um, I can only... Integrate into the society um, so much. It does make me feel grateful having lived in Australia though. When I moved here to Japan, I realized that, oh, like Australia was actually so diverse and, you know, they really valued multiculturalism because here in Japan, I'm still kind of behind when it comes to that. Like, only, I think only like 4% of the population are foreigners. <laughs> so it's, it's still kind of hard to always be sticking out but um now that i live here i realize that growing up in australia as a filipino did really shape the way that i am and the way that i that i think and yeah i'm still uh i'm not struggling as much now now that i'm you know much older and like I'm really firm about the kind of person that I am so it's not as difficult as it was when I moved to Australia see yeah. so for the
0: listeners Anne is currently residing in Japan where she works as an English teacher and mm-hmm. she's, she's been there for about three years now
1: mm-hmm. yes. so
0: mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit about how so we said right now you're in Japan so, aren't you kind of like juggling three different cultures now?
1: Yes, that's so exactly how do you, what's going on.
0: <laughs> how are you able to like find the balance? Or
1: um, I think for me, I always try to see it as uh, each identity that, that I have, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, each one that I that that's there, uh, has like a positive light to it. Like, um, I can bring. I can bring one side out uh, when it's necessary to do so or like when it's the perfect place to do so so while i'm teaching of course i want to be as australian as possible (laughs) and um and then with my filipino students like that's when i really try to bring out the filipino in me or uh, when i go to you know when i go downtown and meet other filipinos that's when i'm like oh um i'm super filipino like <laughs> mm-hmm. really bring it out yeah um it's a lot of juggling but i think when i meet foreigners you know like from america or any other part of the world I always make sure to say that i'm not just filipino or i'm not just australian like i'm both, i'm filipino australian see it's it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's key to them understanding who I am and it's kind of hard to for them to get to know me without me mentioning that as well like I get a lot of people who are just confused like they they can't tell where I'm from a lot of people assume that I'm from America because of my accent and that's not n- no that's not me <laughs> so, Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> can you tell us a bit about like currently how are you able to um, maybe help or encourage other people. I'm sure there are other people then who are also dealing with this kind of
1: crisis. Yeah, yeah that's right. So um, I teach at a um, public junior high school. So I teach 13 to 15-year-olds. And um, I have about 600 students altogether, but a lot of them are Filipino and Brazilian. So with the Brazilian students, I can't really like relate to them as much, but I do know that they are going through uh, like a cultural identity crisis as well because it's really hard for them to be learning at the same pace as the Japanese students. But um, it's honestly been um, pretty difficult for me to help uh, my half or full Filipino students consistently as well because I don't always get the chance to speak with them, but I really want to give them um, the opportunity to reflect on their identity as both Japanese and Filipino children. I think many of them face a lot of difficulties, like language is a big one. Um, Many Japanese Filipino children um, struggle with writing and even reading the kanji. it's really tough because here in Japan, there are three uh, three modes of writing. <laughs> so it's hard, you know, for them, especially if they've just moved here. Like if you're already like 11 and then you move to a country and then you have to learn how to write all over again and go to school while everyone else can already write, like it, it's so challenging for them. And so um, um, I really want to Uh, help them overcome like cultural issues, family issues, and you know whatever identity crisis they're facing as well. Because it's really hard at that age I can only imagine for them not to carry all that burden to school every day. So I try to give them support whenever I can. Um, I speak uh, with some of them in Tagalog when I see them and I can see like it brightens up their day somehow. to be able to speak Tagalog at school mm-hmm. with, uh, with me. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, so I really try to focus on setting an example as a confident uh, Filipino-Australian ate. <laughs> Some of mm-hmm. them call me um, ate, <laughs> even though they're supposed to call me um, and sensei they call me ate. <laughs> and- oh, <laughs> um, that's so cute. <laughs> cute. Yeah, but I want to show them that um, uh, you know that they can be comfortable around me and they can open up to me anytime. And I want to show them that um, it's possible to find stability in their identities and it's possible to find a cultural balance as well. So there's a lot that I want to do, like a lot of workshops, like making crafts like Parol (laughs) Parol Mm -hmm. for Christmas or Halo Halo (laughs) Halo Halo for summer like you know during home economics or something (laughs) it'd be so fun or we could just watch like a Filipino film that's not too difficult to understand for their Tagalog level and just have like an open dialogue about what they know and what they miss about the Philippines or what they want to see if they ever get the chance to go back home. So I have a lot of ideas. I just, I hope I can execute them in the near future. Aww. I like, I, lo- I love teaching them so much. Like they have such bright futures ahead of them, you know? Like, And I just, I want them to graduate junior high with like a deeper understanding of their identity and, and appreciation for their history. And you know, I want to help them feel empowered knowing that, they're unique in their own way
0: oh that's great girl <laughs> you, you do sound like you're really passionate about what in general and, I, and that... I don't just mean about like our topic i mean like even as a teacher like towards mm. these kids so
1: yeah no, it's kind of crazy I, I didn't really want to be a teacher i just kind of landed here <laughs> i just wanted to try it but i didn't realize that i would I'd love mm. it so much I still have a long way to go, though, like I still want to, you know, be better, um, still have a lot to learn, but yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Good
0: for you! <laughs> Thank you. there also been like a community established
1: there? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of uh, Filipinos uh, here, because uh, I live in Nagoya, and uh, there, there are a lot of Filipinos here, but um, I haven't really joined. Uh, a particular one I found some, but they were uh, like a like religious and I forgot Iglesia or Glesia, yeah, mm, and um, iglesia, I, yeah, yeah, I think I've never really been in an Iglesia church, so um, yeah, I, I didn't go in, <laughs> but I know that there are established communities here. Um, I do want to venture out one day and try to see what's going on. <laughs> I see. Good to mm-hmm. know. <laughs> so um
0: in terms of like steps that you are taking in towards helping your students and these kids. So it's more of like you doing your own thing in your own little way. Or has it ever happened apparently it would come to you for for advice or like to ask for help directly in terms of mm-hmm. you know experiencing
1: a cultural identity crisis? Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a bit of both um, it, and it really depends on uh, their level of comfort towards me. Um, for the students who aren't as comfortable with me yet um, I try not to push down like any ideas on them like oh like you should be speak Tagalog or you should you know, you should be hanging out with the other Filipino kids more often. Like, I don't want to be pushing that on them. But there have been moments where uh, the students themselves have come up to me and started uh, telling me, like, some of the things that have been going on in their families that's kind of bothering them or it's making it hard for them to focus at school. And it's been tough hearing it because I'm not, like, a trained counselor or uh school psychologist and so like sometimes I don't want to give them any advice where where, and I know that like maybe it's not the best like sometimes I just want to be there to listen you know just let it out like maybe there's no one else that they can talk to at home so so they're telling me at school and it's it's nice to know that I can do that for them even just that tiny bit of help
0: (laughs) and what would you say in the uh, the biggest challenge Pademo naman isagot na in terms of your personal journey or you can answer in the context then of your students. But um, mm. what would you say is the biggest challenge in terms of embracing the, the Filipino heritage, their Filipino heritage?
1: I think um, for me, it was hard to embrace it because um, I felt like I was being ostracized for not being australian enough and so there was a time when i was much younger where i would you know like kind of bring out the australian side more and be trying to hide the filipino side more like and it's not something that i'm proud of but it did happen and i realized how petty that was (laughs) and (laughs) And I can understand, I I can kind of see that happening with my Japanese students too. Like maybe they're too shy to say that they're Filipino. And there are some students who are like that, who don't want to identify as Filipino, even though their last name or, you know, like their appearance is very Filipino. They just don't want to say like, and I think it's conditioning too. Like maybe their parents um, tell them, you know, like we have to be Japanese from now on, or we have to assimilate. So, there's a lot of uh, reasons why it's challenging. So, yeah, but you know, like it's something that we can grow from, and you know, we can change the perspective a little and see it as an opportunity to better ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where you'd say
0: <laughs> coping mechanisms come in, right? Like mm-hmm. the sense of community, the sense of belongingness,
1: and, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledging exactly. that
0: this is part of your identity.
1: Yeah, totally. Nice, nice. Okay.
0: <laughs> what has changed? What would you say is the difference from the and that you were? 2007. <laughs> from the and that you are now?
1: Okay, well, I've definitely become um, a lot more confident and a lot more outspoken and I'm just proud to say of who I truly am. Um, I fully embrace being both Filipino and and fully embrace having grown up in Australia and I don't really feel like there's a crisis in my head anymore even though I'm still immersing myself into the Japanese culture now. I think that's it. Totally separate thing. Um, I just, I'm really proud to say that I've learned a lot from my experience, and I know that a lot of people have gone through it as well. And I'm, I find solace in knowing that there are other people who are just like me who have come out of this and have turned this into something that inspires them to, you know, help other people. Um, face those difficulties as well.
0: Oh, nice! I'm so proud of your growth, girl.
1: Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Ariel. Thank you so much. You're so supportive. <laughs> um.
0: So, uh, any last words or like a, a message you'd like to leave the listeners with?
1: Um, I just want to say thank you for taking the time with me and Orielle today. Um, and if you are an immigrant and if you've just moved and you're Uh, struggling with cultural challenges um, it's going to be okay Um, just hang on but never be afraid to express yourself fully Um, there will always be people who will appreciate you for exactly who you are so stay true to yourself Wonderful. And uh, weren't
0: you going to plug something?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to slide my Instagram in there. Um, (laughs) I don't really have any projects. I'm just an English teacher, but I do enjoy uh, photography and I like to travel and write about my experiences living here. So if you're interested in, you know, learning about uh, my experience as a teacher here or interested in exploring Japan the local way. Uh, you can follow me on instagram it's GVN. all right okay yeah. uh, we'll also
0: be posting her ig on the uh, description of this episode so you'll find really? it there for anyone Yay. who's interested <laughs> please follow
1: you. Anne. <laughs> thank you ariel i really thank admire you. your team um uh, this has been such a cool opportunity And um, I just want to say that you guys are doing great work here at Ripples with Words. And you're all so talented. And you all make me really proud to be Filipino.
0: Oh, thank you, Anne. And we, in turn, are (laughs) proud of you. Honestly, seriously. Thank you. So thank you. And thank you for taking the time to be with us. And, of course, your generosity to share your insights about this topic. Of course, we know this is also a very, you know, personal part of your journey so Stay thank soon. you thank you
1: no, thank you thank you for being so patient with me <laughs> and that was
0: miss wilhelmina and Javanya on how to deal with cultural identity crisis thank you to our listeners this has been uriel And we hope that this episode inspires you to continue to make ripples with words. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, Anne. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs)